Welcome to Decoding Healthcare Research, a podcast by Agora Project. Join us as we delve into the behind-the-scenes world of groundbreaking research and the dynamic healthcare industry, interviewing top paper authors, engaging experts on industry-related topics, and exploring medical subjects that affect our daily lives. And now, your host, Dr. E.F. Rain. Welcome to Decoding Healthcare Research. I'm your host, Efrain Riveros, Dr. E.F. Rain. Today, we are going to talk about sleep. Sleep, alcohol, and the intricacies between these two aspects. In order to reach a significant depth of our discussion, we have an expert with us who is honoring us with his presence. We have uh, Dr. Ian Greenland. He's a postdoctoral research fellow at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Welcome. Welcome, Dr. Greenland. Thank you very much. Thank you for the invitation. Excellent. So we are going to discuss uh, one of his papers uh, published in Alcoholism, Clinical and Experimental Research in 2022. The title of the paper is Effects of Alcohol on Sleep and Nocturnal Heart Rate, Relationships to Intoxication and Morning After Effects. Even though we are going to center the discussion initially on this paper, Dr. Greenland has a lot of experience and a lot of research has been done by, by, by his team. And he's going to cease on our discussion with with all these components so let's let's start with a with a simple question dr greenland for for how long have you been doing research in this in this topic of uh, sleep and alcohol well i'm relatively new uh to the area or to this this area i've been uh engaged with it in it for about five to six years um during the beginning of my, my PhD work um, with Dr. Jason Carter, um, and we collaborated with Dr. Harriet DeWitt on this project at the University of Chicago, um, starting at Montana State University um, and, and looking to move forward in this topic, hopefully uh, during my postdoctoral work as well. That's great. Uh, and it's not a secret that in the Western societies, the consumption of alcohol has been consistently high in mm -hmm. the United States alone, it's uh, approximately 50% of adults admitted to having consumed alcohol within the last month, uh, which is significant for, for a society as a whole. Mm -hmm. And we know that uh, alcohol has effects on the structure of sleep. Can you tell us a little bit more about the effect of alcohol on sleep? Sure. So, and I think what we have to realize with the, the statistics that you put out there too, is that there's a big spectrum of individuals who use alcohol too. Uh, there's some evidence to show that that light and moderate consumption, so anywhere in the neighborhood of, of one to three drinks may not impact our overall health, cardiovascular health, uh, the same way that heavy alcohol consumption uh, may impact our health, but if focusing on sleep itself, um, alcohol, if you drink it in excess, uh, may reduce the time that it takes you to fall asleep, which is that subjective uh, period where most people actually think that they're sleeping better uh, when they consume alcohol, but what occurs, so you fall asleep faster, but your sleep becomes fragmented as alcohol is consumed or alcohol is metabolized uh, in the body. So you're, you're having more frequent arousals uh, from sleep that you may or may not uh, remember. And it also alters your sleep architecture. So when we say sleep architecture, we're talking about stages of sleep, like stage one, stage two, 
uh, deep sleep or slow wave sleep, and then also rapid eye movement sleep. And what usually occurs is rapid eye movement sleep or the stage of sleep when individuals are dreaming is often interrupted. And in our work and larger samples that uh, individuals have shown is it is often replaced with lighter stage two sleep uh, rather than the more, uh, rather than REM sleep. The total sleep time, is it affected? Yes, total sleep time is often often reduced um, because of that. Like I said, with the uh, the lighter sleep um, and more fragmented sleep uh, that that ensues. So, what is the consequence of uh, suppression of the REM sleep uh, the next day? Not long term, but the next day. Yeah, the next day, um, as as we saw in some of uh, some of the work in our paper, uh, we saw that there is some effect to our overall mood. Um, in the paper specifically, uh, we didn't show that changes in REM sleep are related to mood, but we can think of of REM sleep as a whole as a large regulator um, of overall mood, um, where um, Individuals who go through traumatic events, for example, who have reduced REM sleep often have more symptomology associated with that, uh, that traumatic event versus individuals who go through some sort of event, process the emotional uh, valence that's uh, surrounding uh, that event, often have better outcomes afterwards uh, with, with, with uh, integral uh, REM sleep. Yeah, I find intriguing the what you mentioned in your paper that uh, the consumption of alcohol is also associated with the changes in heart rate and heart rate variability mm -hmm. that changes that change in, in heart rate you would expect to keep the patient awake more time is kind of a contradiction with the, mm -hmm. with the effect on on sleep yeah so what we saw the what we saw across the night was there was a robust reduction uh, in heart rate variability. So the, the balance, um, we use heart rate variability to look at vagal mod modulation of the heart, so the parasympathetic side of things. So we can see that alcohol was inducing this state of arousal throughout the entire night that was persisting. And then that was translated uh, to a reduction in the, how we look at it as low frequency and high frequency most of the time components of heart rate variability uh, and the high frequency is thought to be the more reliable index of parasympathetic modulation on the heart so what you want to see is a nice increase in the high frequency component of heart rate variability a lot of the smart beds these days are, are talking about that you want good heart rate variability at night showing that you have a nice balance of heart rate increasing and decreasing while well, alcohol takes that away and you have less modulation, um, poorer heart rate variability, which is a, a poor index to, to cardiovascular health. So you think that there is a connection between that change in heart rate variability, you know, the changes induced by alcohol mm -hmm. and the after effects in the morning? There, there very well could be. Um, in the sample that we're focused on, right, we, we studied young, healthy individuals who ident otherwise identified as being binge drinkers. So this relationship might be slightly weaker in this population, younger individuals, a little bit more resilient, I would think, to uh, the, the detriments of binge alcohol consumption. But if you pair this to an individual who is poor sleeping regularly or an individual who is older, 
you might see a, a stronger uh, link uh, between those variables is my hypothesis. I see. So for this particular study, what you, what were you, what hypotheses were you trying to test? We the principal outcomes in this study was we were interested in how one night of binge alcohol consumption was going to affect uh, nocturnal uh, blood pressure control, overall sleep architecture, and then next morning uh, autonomic sympathetic parasympathetic activity paired with blood pressure control. We were interested really in this overall pattern of what's happening at night into the morning because we wanted to use a pragmatic model, right? There's there's some evidence from the work that's out there was they took individuals that at 7 a.m. They had them drink in the laboratory at 7 a.m. And, you know, we, we stepped back from this and we're like, how applicable is this really to uh, to what individuals are doing? And the answer is it's not happening. It's not, more than likely not happening in that. So we used mm -hmm. a pragmatic model of we were doing evening binge alcohol consumption tracking what was happening overnight while alcohol was being metabolized and specifically focusing on the next morning because the next morning is when or more the morning the hours between uh, 6 a.m and 12 p.m that is when it is the most common uh, for individuals to have a cardiovascular event we're really interested in sleep and how it uh, how it influences cardiovascular regulation. So disturbances to sleep mediated by alcohol, perhaps, is this, uh, is this related to increased prevalence of cardiovascular events during this critical window of 6 a.m. to 12 p.m.? So in terms of uh, the protocol itself, can you tell us a little bit about the design and uh, mm -hmm. how you split up the the cohort of patients that you had yes yes so uh everyone who came into uh the the study uh it was a randomized crossover design meaning that everyone saw both and experienced both conditions and in a randomized order either got the binge alcohol dose or the fluid control dose uh we used uh 190 proof grain Everclear, which was diluted in a one to three ratio with a fruit juice. And this was split up over two doses, uh, one given at 8 p.m. and another given at 9 p.m. And that was designed to simulate uh, binge alcohol consumption of four to five alcoholic beverage equivalents within the period of, of two hours. Um, that concluded about two hours prior to, uh, prior to the sleep opportunity, which started at 11 p.m. They were monitored with full uh, polysomnography at night uh, to quantify a uh, gold standard to quantify uh, sleep quality. And then uh, we also monitored blood pressure uh, at night paired with heart rate. And then um, in the morning is when we uh, started autonomic testing with these individuals uh, to track sympathetic, parasympathetic regulation paired with blood pressure. Did they have a meal before before drinking? Yes, yes. We, everyone was provided a standardized meal um, that was registered with, or th that was, um, um, that was, yeah. Every everyone received a meal that was um, that was provided uh, by a registered dietitian based on overall activity levels. Um, meal habits and it was made sure that they had the same exact meal at each of these conditions and you made measurements before during and after the the protocol i assume 
could you specify that for yeah so the measurements uh, for heart rate for everything all the variables that you were measuring you did the baseline during the night and uh, the morning after that is correct yes and what did you find for for heart rate what we saw across the entire night was that heart rate after you consumed one alcoholic beverage and then after the second alcoholic beverage steadily climbed um, throughout the night. And then when we compare between conditions, there is a persistent tachycardia throughout the entire night um, uh, compared to the fluid control, uh, uh, fluid control night. And then this persisted into the next morning. So uh, during, I would say, after the individual woke up 7 a.m. to about 10 a.m. afterwards is when we, we finished our measurements, that tachycardia persisted. Uh, we also did um, measurements throughout the night called cardiovagal barrier reflex sensitivity. So getting at how our parasympathetic nervous system is involved with regulating our blood pressure, uh, basically of when our blood pressure is decreasing or going down, we want vagal withdrawal to occur at the level of the heart. We want heart rate to increase to help bring blood pressure up. And when blood pressure is increasing, we want vagal activation to occur to bring blood pressure down to have a nice waxing and waning pattern. Well, each of those parameters is uh, is inhibited um, and or impeded uh, with alcohol in the system, meaning that our blood pressure is not is going to be more os oscillatory uh, throughout the night. So you see these more dramatic changes in blood pressure and overall, we were talking about heart rate variability. It's good to have heart good heart rate variability. But if you look on the other side of things with blood pressure, having high blood pressure variability is not good for overall health because you're putting added strain uh, on, the, on the vasculature, which could down the road, uh, uh, turn into things like arterial stiffness, uh, make uh, the, the arteries susceptible to greater atherosclerotic plaque deposition um, and overall cardiovascular disease later on in life. I see. Did you document any changes in sleep architecture? Yes, we did. So in our individuals, uh, what we saw on average was REM sleep was reduced in these individuals and it was on average replaced with stage two sleep. Likely why that's occurring is if you look at what normal sleep architecture should look like, the first half of sleep is typically dominated by what we call non-rapid eye movement sleep, uh, which is the stages, stage one, stage two, and stage three. You can, stage three, you may have heard um, as deep sleep, slow wave sleep. That's usually dominated to the first half of sleep. The second half of sleep is usually rapid eye movement sleep dominant. So REM sleep, uh, the stage of sleep where individuals are dreaming. Well, as alcohol is being metabolized, it usually alcohol is metabolized from um, ethanol to acetaldehyde, then to acetate. Acetate is thought to be that molecule that is causing a great bit of arousal, um, especially within the brain. And if this is occurring, we're thinking towards this latter half of sleep when majority of the alcohol in the system is now being, has been metabolized. It makes sense that in those early morning hours where REM is typically dominant, this is where we see quite a bit more arousals occurring and then explaining why rapid eye movement sleep uh, percentage um, is reduced in our sample. 
I also found in your paper that you that there was also an effect on on the second stage. What is the significance of that finding? So the stage two sleep, um, it's one of the more, it's a state of sleep that we're in most of the night. So it, when when you or I go to bed tonight, 50% of sleep is typically in stage two sleep. Uh, given what we, we th I would say that sleep in general, the two hallmark restorative stages of sleep are slow wave sleep and REM sleep. Slow wave sleep or deep sleep, I think we think of being restorative of more of a, a physiological sense. So we give that time from a cardiovascular sense too. We give that vas our vasculature time to relax, repair, restore itself with blood pressure lowering, and then uh, rapid eye movement sleep then to that that's important for uh, psychological health, mood regulation, uh, things like that. So I would say the fact that you are taking away REM and replacing it with stage two, you're you're impeding on some of those aspects of, of REM sleep and, and then having them in stage two, you're just not allowing that process to occur. Great. And uh, what, because I saw that you measured uh, a behavioral metrics the, the morning after, um, mm -hmm. did that change? Yes, uh, we saw the the anticipated effects uh, the next morning. Um, that we saw some modif modest effects on on mood um, and overall performance. That these individuals likely experiencing the the effects of hangover. So as you can affect negative affect uh, was higher. Positive affect was reduced. Uh, we did some um, overall performance tasks with individuals uh, to those that. Uh, their performance was modestly reduced as well. So we see those things uh, happening in the morning. Uh, so when when hangover effects are persisting, uh, that that this could be uh, impacting uh, this these those parameters. One finding that called my attention was that uh, paradoxically, the you you use like a a double digit addition test and mm -hmm. the performance was even better. <laughs> Yeah, it, it that was that was an interesting finding. Um, <laughs> um, it you know it you could look at it from the other side of things that individuals knew that they were feeling worse and they 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 tried to do better on the task. I see. But there's mm -hmm. there's many different ways you could look at that, or it's just uh, just, a just a interesting finding. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So I understand that this uh, this project is is part of a bigger clinical trial. Mm -hmm. uh, what else are you researching? Yes. So this this uh, this trial um, is specifically trying to identify mechanisms related to this epidemiological finding between alcohol, heavy alcohol consumption, and cardiovascular risk. The lens that we're trying to take on this is well, there's a lot of this big data suggesting this link. But we just we don't know the mechanism behind it all. So the lens that we take and what our laboratory is most interested in is autonomic regulation, sympathetic regulation. Um, and we're one of the only laboratories in the country that that has a very sensitive technique called microneurography uh, to measure sympathetic activity directly uh, from the uh, from the, the sympathetic nervous system. 
So with individuals in this study, uh, what we did the next morning with them is we we got these direct measurements of sympathetic activity because sympathetic activity plays a huge role in acute blood pressure regulation, right? When we see activity of the sympathetic nervous system, blood pressure goes up, heart rate goes up. So this can, and, and it's over, sympathetic activity is overactive in hypertension. So definitely could be a contributing mechanism uh, in, in this study. So what, what we did with these individuals um, with the microneurography technique is we insert a very small electrode um, into the peroneal nerve at, at the popliteal fossa. So we, we insert that very small electrode and, and we can actually hear and listen to the sympathetic bursts that are occurring um, at that time. So when you see it come across the, across the screen, parallel with the continuous blood pressure signal that we get, you can see when a, when a sympathetic burst comes across, you see the parallel increase um, in, in blood pressure. And so what we did once we got this recording is we did a number of sympathoexcitatory maneuvers with these individuals, one of them being a Valsalva maneuver, where we put a very small mouthpiece um, in the mouth, asked the individuals to blow out air to a pressure of 40 millimeters of mercury, hold that for 15 seconds, and then we tracked the heart rate, blood pressure, and sympathetic response to that. And what we saw was during that straining period was that we saw increased sympathetic activity uh, during, uh, during that strain after the alcohol condition compared, uh, compared to uh, the fluid control. We didn't see any differences at baseline, but during, but during the sympathetic excitatory maneuvers, we did. And this is, again is in a young, healthy population. So, um, you know, we're even a younger individual who, after a night of, of drinking, you could say, you know, they're not just laying around doing nothing. So any strenuous activity is still eliciting this higher sympathetic activity um, than what would be normal for that individual. And now if we look into the future where this clinical trial may be headed into the future of studying older people who may have sleep problems, you might hypothesize that this effect is only going to be exacerbated. And we may see these, uh, some, this sympathoexcitatory stimuli even at baseline between the conditions. So you would say that there is like a hyperactivity or hyperreactivity of the sympathetic nervous system? Yes, and yes. That, that could potentially be associated with the, with the long-term pathology, right? Like hypertension. Yes, and yes, yes, of course. Uh, Oh, that's that's exciting. So, and um, go, going back to this uh, study that we were that we were discussing, especially uh, lately, you know, people have access to other psychostimulants beyond alcohol. Mm -hmm. So that, uh, how do you envision these other substances may affect? the architecture of sleep and the sympathetic uh, nervous or sympath sympathetic arousal. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I would expect it to mimic that of, of, of how, how alcohol disturbs sleep. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it uh, also, I mean, we know that energy drinks and other, other stimulants also disturb sleep. So you're going to see reduced total sleep time. You're going to see impaired sleep efficiency. You more than likely are going to see a, a similar, uh, a similar uh, decrease in rapid eye movement sleep or deep sleep, those more restorative stages of sleep. Um, another, uh, and 
So then if sleep is impaired, that could definitely be translated to increased cardiovascular risk. And with some of these mechanisms that we're discussing with the sympathetic nervous system could be hyperactive as well. Uh, with these, these stimulants um, that we're talking about too, you know, we're, we're, I'm talking about broad, like how overall sleep architecture is, is, um, is changing that we look at that at a macro level. We can also dive into the sleep signals, the, the EEG that is making up the sleep. And you can look at, look at it at a micro, a micro architecture level too, where you could go through and score each epic of sleep of this is stage one, this is stage two, three, et cetera. But what you may be missing is sure, this looks like stage three sleep, but there's, there is overlying high frequency or arousal across this entire stage. So even though the individual may be in quote stage three sleep or deep sleep, you still have this overlying arousal over all of it, meaning that they aren't getting that restorative sleep that they truly could be getting uh, without that stimulant in the system that is being missed by other scoring parameters. I see. And, uh, and it's, it's super interesting because it has uh, definitely a lot of, uh, a lot of ramifications. Mm -hmm. So for someone in the general audience who, who would come up with the question that, you know, alcohol has been used like a night as a nightcap and mm -hmm. uh, people feel more relaxed and they think that it's a good idea with just one drink to have a better sleep, according to your research, is that a right approach? I would, I would say no. Uh, I, I think it, it just, it makes for a very slippery slope because what can happen is, and the statistics show that individuals with insomnia, for example, 20% of people who struggle with insomnia symptoms often do try to self-medicate first with alcohol before trying to reach out to a healthcare provider and say, you know, I have this problem. Can we try to get to the bottom of it? And like we said, sure, um, initially you might feel that you're sleeping better because you do fall asleep faster, which is that I, that's the symptom that people gravitate towards that say, if they're falling asleep faster, I'm sleeping better. It makes you feel like you're sleeping better, but you're truly not because your total sleep time's reduced, your sleep efficiency is reduced, sleep architecture is changing. And initially sleep might improve, but then if you do that repeatedly, you're going to start to increase, you're going to start to develop a tolerance to that alcohol dose. And naturally what's going to happen is you're going to increase that dose higher to try to achieve the same effect that you received before. And that's a vicious cycle that's going to continue until light consumption turns into moderate consumption, turns into heavy alcohol consumption. And then somewhere along that cycle is when cardiovascular disease may develop. Exactly, which in the end is the most concerning part because the, mm -hmm. the long-term effects you don't feel from one night to the other, right? Exactly. So it's something that is uh, accumulating over time. And it's definitely a, a very exciting uh, line of research, and um, and we are we are following up on on your research very closely, and um, and I hope uh, that we can in the future see it again and see your progress because the definitely you are an, a pioneer in this particular aspect, especially with the heart rate variability and the effect on the sympathetic nervous system. Mm -hmm. That is re a really exciting uh, line of research. And, um, and I think uh, with this comment, uh, we can wrap up by asking you, what do you think is the main takeaway 
from your paper? The main takeaway uh, from from this work is is that likely uh, that that um, heavy alcohol consumption is having having an effect on our sleep, and it's having an effect on our autonomic nervous system. There's more work to be done to see how alcohol uh, pairs with the relationship uh, between sleep and autonomic function, uh, but there's there's a clear relationship helping to explain why we see at an epidemiological level of this relationship between um, cardiovascular disease and alcoholism. Thank you. This this is this is great. Uh, thank you, Dr. Greenland, again for for for. Uh, allowing us to to chat with you and to get your insights about this very important theme, and for our audience, uh, in the in the description of the video, you will find the the link to to this paper and some other papers authors by, authored by uh, Dr. Greenland, and don't forget to give us your feedback in the comments section. And see you in the next episode. Thank you, Dr. Greenland. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. If you enjoyed it, please don't forget to give us a thumbs up and share it with your friends and family. Make sure to subscribe to our channel and hit that notification bell so you never miss an episode. If you have any questions or thoughts about today's topic, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to leave your comments down below. For more information and references related to today's discussion, you can find them in the video description below. We appreciate your support and look forward to having you back for our next episode.